I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Google+, at Lisa Evers, Snapchat too. And if you want to catch up on all the Street Soldiers episodes, both on Hot 97 and Fox 5, you can check them out at LisaEvers.com. What we're focusing on in this episode is one of the most sensitive and urgent issues facing not just our city, but also our country. And that is the relationship or lack of relationship between police and the communities that they protect and serve, particularly communities of color. With everything that's going on, we wanted to open up a discussion about where we really are and what we really need to do. There's been a lot of talk about a conversation, but how can we even have a conversation about this very urgent issue if we don't even know the terminology, if we don't know what to say, if we're afraid to say things because they might offend someone. And yet real honesty is what many people believe is what's needed if we're going to go forward. So let me introduce our panel to you right now. Joining us is Darren Porcher. Um, Dr. Porcher is a former NYPD lieutenant. He's currently a professor of criminal justice at universities here in New York City. And he's also a commentator on radio and television. Also with us is City Council Member Jumani Williams. He represents the 45th District in Brooklyn. That's East Flatbush, Flatbush, Midwood, and Flatlands. He's been very active in policing issues as well as gun violence issues in our neighborhoods. Thank you both for being with us. We really Thanks appreciate for having it. Thanks for having us, Lisa. Um, Jumani, I want to start with you on this because you've been on the this issue for a long, long time. You see it for your constituents and you see it as both a legislator and also as an African-American man on the streets. What do you see? Are we as divided as p- some people think we are? Uh, I think so, actually. On this issue, I think we're, we're generally not as divided as people think. There's a lot of commonality. But on this issue, I think there's a, a bright line uh, for a lot of people. And I think uh, that's what one of the issues are. And we have to, as you said, have an honest conversation of what things look like through race in this country. Uh, when you bring up race, people begin to shut down. But it really is a problem. And so um, one of the issues for me is we have to focus on policing. And I think we were talking outside. The other issue is not just policing. And so whatever issues we have with the institution of policing are very real, but those same issues uh, exist when it comes to employment, education, housing. So you're um, saying it's a, it's a bigger issue. Darren Porcher, Dr. Porcher, what do you think? Are we as divided as a community or as, you know, between the police and the community as some people think we are? Well, I think that we are very, very divided. Um, you can't broad brush it. And we have different communities that have different aspects of division. And when, one of the things that you look at is the school system, for example. You see, in essence, segregation in a lot of these schools. And we look at what the landscape here in New York City is. We have 365 square miles and eight and a half million people. However, we have African-Americans that live in some neighborhoods. Caucasians are living in others. And then we have more and more infusion in different communities such as Harlem and Bedford. For Stuyvesant. However, we still have a ways to go. So to answer your question and connection is, do we have division? I believe absolutely so. And I think it's worse than it is. I don't think that this thing is going understated. Jumanji, do you think this is the tip of the iceberg? What we're seeing now, the, the tensions, the, the expressions of frustration that people I, have? I hope so, because that will mean something would change. But uh, historically, we've had these peaks, and then it comes back down, and we pretend it's gone away, but it's just latent. So I'm hoping we can use this as a time to really have... The more we push off this discussion, the more we're real about it, the more angry people are when it peaks again. Um, Thankfully, through the advent of social media, uh, people are seeing brightly what we have known for quite some time. I think that's helpful. I think uh, the fact that you have uh, not just 
black folks out there now. You have multiple uh, people from backgrounds saying, yo, this is a problem. And they, they haven't been lying. They haven't been making it up. They haven't been exaggerating. It's right there on video, sort of like uh, the advent of television did at the civil rights movement. Like, for example, with the Philando Castile case in Minnesota, the, the girlfriend who was uh, live streaming everything on Facebook, we saw that. A lot of people understood it. We've seen a lot of people in or the Or Mr. Smalls uh, in, right. in East New York, where they told us one thing. And they told us something very specific. And he was punching the guy in the face and all this and that. And the video was astonishing. He literally walks up and gets shot. This officer, uh, unlike anybody who's not an officer, hasn't been arrested, no charges yet. Okay, but is the issue and are the divisions, do they really, is it a clean cut division along race lines? Because you look at the Delron Small case, that officer was black. You look at some of these other cases and it's it's not quite so clear. So is it about, is, is the bigger discussion how are we policing our communities? The way we're policing it doesn't fit the times or it's outdated? Well, when we think, when we look in connection with how the policing strategies that are employed, law enforcement or police agencies are broken into two components. You have something we refer to as order, order maintenance. Order maintenance focuses specifically on enforcement-related activities. And then we have the second piece, which is the public servant. The public servant is that police officer that engages in the policing community relationship. Now, when we look at police departments historically, they've, imp they've input monstrous amounts of money into order maintenance. So we think in terms of counterterrorism, enforcement related acts. However, and the, that's something that's ever so evolving. And the but militarization when, of police right, departments. Right, but when we look at the, the the public servant piece, we're still in terms of the community, the police community engagement, and uh, that's something that dates by the 70s from the 70s up until this point, they have yet to evolve in that. It's been more focused on the order maintenance component. So how do we drive, how do we bring up that public servant piece? And that's one of the things that I feel this administration here in New York City has desperately failed. When uh, Mayor, Blo when, excuse me, when Mayor Bloomberg was in office, I constantly heard de Blasio state that this is a tale of two cities. When he comes in, he's gonna change things. He highlighted the Floyd versus the city of New York. That was a stop frisk case however once he came into office as the mayor it seems like he's just regressed and police commissioner bratton has kind of done his own thing bratton isn't the policy maker the mayor is the policy maker but i'm seeing something very different all right we're gonna because one thing you said because officer was black uh, i want to make it clear uh that that doesn't change the fact that race is a factor here and so it's very okay ex explain that to people because a lot of people and and i'm repeating to you and asking you guys a lot sure. of the things people have been saying on social media have been asking me and the, the questions that have been coming up in the public dialogue about this if the officer is black if the person shot and killed by that officer is also black how is race not a factor because well uh, when you look at it uh in that case you're thinking about how how men and women in blue are viewing uh, men and women or who are black and brown, and so it doesn't matter if the officer's black, brown, or white. Uh, I've I've known not you know I've known officers who are look like me and have a lot to prove, and sometimes or could be worse even than people that aren't. But the other important thing that to point out is that uh, it's how those communities are policed and how those communities are structurally ignore, ignored, and that part, that second part, uh, is very important because. If it's a, a black or brown community, you can rest assured that the numbers when it comes to uh, unemployment, when it comes to lack of affordable housing, when it comes to education, mirror uh, the amounts of complaints of uh, police brutality 
and violence in those communities. But Jumani, what do you say to the people, and, and I'm sure you've heard this many times at the city council hearings and, and on the streets, what do you say to people who go, well, there's more police activity, there's more aggressive police activity in communities of color because there's more crime there? Uh, well, one, there's two things there. Uh, that's not 100% accurate because if you look at something like uh, bicycle summonses, uh, you see tremendous amounts of uh, bicycle summonses in the black and brown communities as opposed to the white communities. And I believe that they ride bikes. Uh, I've seen it with my own eyes. And so you see uh, enforcement that's just uh, so much harsher on one side, even when it's equal, uh, when it's equal uh, violations. At also... They are correct that there are certain violent crimes uh, that are a little bit more. But the question is why? And the answer to that question is similar to the problems with policing and, and brutality. And no one wants to talk about those questions. Those communities have been uh, starved structurally. Access uh, inequality has been real in those communities. And we have to have discussion of personal accountability with the historical uh, denial of things that are needed in those communities at the same time, people want to separate. They want to talk about personal responsibility, but not how do we fix this structurally so that any human being you put in a situation is going to respond in the same way. We know what's going to happen. All right. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. When we come back, I'm going to ask our guests, how do we even talk about this? What terms are offensive? What terms are expe- uh, acceptable? And what kind of language should we be using as we address this? That's coming up next. What up? This is Trey Songz, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're focusing on one of the most sensitive and urgent issues facing us as a nation, police community relations. And joining us for this discussion, Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a former NYPD lieutenant, a criminal justice professor, and also a TV and radio commentator on law enforcement issues. Also with us is City Council Member Jumani Williams from the 45th District in Brooklyn. That includes East Flatbush, Flatbush, Midwood, and the Flatlands. Let me ask you this, in terms of the conversation, in terms of the language, if you say communities of color, people get upset. If you say African-American, people who are not African-American but have a darker complexion get upset because their national origin is not being recognized. What should we even say as we talk about this? A black issue, a white issue? What should we use, Jumani? Uh, well, one, we, we should co- approach this with empathy for both sides. Right. And understand, I have... I used to say white privilege a lot, and I realized when I say white privilege, people think I'm calling them racist, even though I'm not. Now, you might be. I don't want to take that away, but that wasn't my point there. So I've tried to get acute to what is triggering something in someone and then try to rephrase it because if you use those trigger words, then people stop listening and the conversation is not helpful. Absolutely. Um, the fact that folks are trying to find a word that completes their identity is a factor of American history, and then people have been forced to do that. And so I don't know if we have the correct language yet, but one thing I will say for sure, um, the more melanin in your skin that you have, the more likely that you have these issues, and that's very real. And so, we look at the we look at the victims. We look at the victims, and and, the, and that bears it out. That's, that is exactly. There's a complexion correct. connection without a doubt. That is exactly correct. All right, Darren, what do you think about that in terms of the language that we use? In terms of I think people, well, how how we should say because whites will say this, people will say other people will say it too who are, are non-black. How do you talk about this with be, being sensitive and being open-minded and yet not being offensive? Because the last thing you want to do if you're having a dialogue with somebody, as Jumani said, is you use a trigger word or be offensive. Well, I, you know, I don't want to date myself in terms of the age, but I remember years ago, black people were referred to as colored. 
if people were fine with that, then it changed, it rotated into black, then it rotated into African American. And the truth of the matter is, you refer to people how they want to be referred to. And once you once you catch that, study people and gain that understanding, and that's what you refer to them as. But in connection with this conversation about race, I think it's a very necessary conversation. When we look at what President Obama spoke about yesterday at the memorial service in connection with the, uh, the slain officers, he really introduced the necessity of having this conversation. Not that I agree with the organizers of Black Lives Matter. However, what they have done is they've introduced a narrative of a divisive relationship between the African-American community and police, and we're now having it on a national level. That being said, once you identify with what people want to be referred to, you must have this conversation. Because if you don't have the conversation, it's like the boogeyman in the closet. No one, it's never right, addressed. Right, or the elephant in the room but that nobody wants to talk about. once we find out, once we address the conversation, now we can develop specific antidotes let me talk to the issues that one, we have. One thing that's important with this, anything, any response besides you are right when you say Black Lives Matter is a problem. If someone says Black Lives Matter and you say anything besides yes it does... That is a problem because that is the whole issue here. When people say black lives matter, you're saying all lives matter. And people are not understanding, we know all lives matter. All the data shows that other people's lives matter. What we're saying now here is the data has presented itself to us that black lives don't matter. Like the Black is Beautiful movement way back when. It wasn't that anything else wasn't beautiful. It was that everything was showing us and people were trying to tell us that black was ugly, black was bad. So therefore, yeah, black is beautiful. And it's the same vein here. And so that is a trigger point, and it should be. We should be allowed to assert something in the face of all the damaging evidence that we're seeing. And what about, Jumani, the, the, the subtext and the tone? Because the whole debate that's erupted over Black Lives Matter is almost like, are you even allowed to come up with your own term? Do you get that sense from it? I do. And what we should do is allow Black Lives Matter to stand alone. And, and when using that context, don't, just don't use something else. Uh, you, you can use All Lives Matter for another conversation, say something else, but if you're using it in response to Black Lives Matter, that's what the problem is. You should allow people who are suffering the ability to lead a conversation in dealing with that suffering. And when and you take that away, you're, 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 you're violating them again. And you're talking, you're talking about f facts, you're talking about statistics, because the other thing in this national debate that has kind of erupted in various media forms and social media forms is more whites are killed by police officers every year than blacks. That is true. However, more according to blacks, the New York Times, according more to the, unarmed blacks are killed by police. Uh, and, right, and according cases. to the, it's how you break down the statistics. And according to the New York Times, they say of all the unarmed people shot and killed by police in 2015, 40 percent were black, even though or were black men, even though black men are six percent of the American population to speak to what you're saying. And, and you're most, saying more black, more unarmed black men are. More unarmed blacks are killed. More Caucasians are killed by police annually. However, more unarmed blacks are killed by police. And, and also, police. there are more white populace. Well, so, yeah, you also right. have well, to well, look Exactly, so but the black the population is 13% of the United and States. And also, most of the officers, unfortunately, uh, who are murdered, are murdered by white people. That, that you and know, you still you still right. get blamed for even having a discussion. Right. And so it, it just people warp everything. They don't use. I found it's very difficult to have a conversation with someone where facts don't matter. So you have someone like Giuliani saying the most craziest and wildest things, and no facts. He just made up his own facts. Right. And so what we should do is at least look at the data that's there. Let's all look at it. We may look at it from a different angle, but we should agree what it is. Stop blaming folks who are discussing um, their demonization in this country 
and blaming that on officers uh, being killed as a general statement when most of the people who kill officers uh, are white and still and involved that, in the commission of a crime and, and, and still even with that fact most of the people who are killed per capita particularly unarmed are black all right. What about it in terms of the, this discussion, this other discussion that has come up alongside the, the debate and the conversation or attempts at conversation about the about the police in our communities is that people will say, well, the numbers of blacks killed by police officers is much smaller than the number of blacks killed by other blacks. What do you say to I that? I hear this argument Pe- constantly. I know people are making I will it. Tell That's you why I want to have rebuttal. you guys address it. Most uh, ra- more whites are killed by more more whites are killed by whites than anyone else. More okay. blacks are killed by blacks than anyone else. The same holds true with Latinos. So the African uh, the African American component is just reflective of all other races. Now, just going back to one, uh, not to change the subject, but it's part of the subject. Why is it that we have all of this this black on black violence and the police are uh, based on what's referred we refer to as the quantitative statistics that they're more subjected to harm African Americans in these communities? I think that we also have to look at the police department needs to retool their method, their strategy in policing in these communities. If you've identified that there's been a problem, that's fine, that's okay. Now you have to retool a strategy that's effective to connect with that population, not use the same technique the uh, broad brace police excuse me broad brush your policing methods throughout the country but what so, about but Dumani what about poli- politically and you're po- very politically savvy and you know how these discussions get get steered this this thing that gets keeps getting thrown out uh, especially among white media is the black on you know black on black crime why aren't they as why aren't they as outraged about that as they are in in their terminology so, about black about Blacks getting killed by police. What so do you one, say to that? I, ref- I refuse to uh, continue to use the language uh, that is conti- that is made just to continue the violations of community. So I'm not going to say black on black crime. I'm going to say violence, violence in the black community. Period. Um, as he described, that type of violence and whatever violence he discussed and crime in particular happens parochially. So white people commit crimes among white people. It is about eighty something percent, uh, roughly the same as black. Um, two, you don't tell us which violence we should speak about. Don't tell us one violence is more important than the other violence. Three, there are, du- there are hundreds and hundreds of people across this country who are dealing with the violence in their community every single there day. There are. Now, because you don't come down to those communities and participate doesn't mean it is not happening. Uh, and the third is the most important. The question is, why is there violence in this particular community? And the answer is similar to the reason that we're discussing police brutality. There is structural inequities when you look through a lens of race that has caused this. That doesn't mean we can't hold people responsible because you don't have to fall in the trap. But you should honestly describe that the trap is there to begin with. You cannot have a public safety discussion that only includes the police. I think that is a fundamental flaw. Law enforcement is not the only response to the violence in these communities. And as long as it is, we're going to have the same problems. You can't ask police to go in to solve all the structural inequities. How can police go in and solve unemployment and solve housing issues and solve education issues? It can't be done. So law and order has to grow out of the realm of just being law enforcement. And until you recognize that, you are furthering the problems in this country. 
we have to be honest about why the violence is going there and you have to be honest with yourself why are you describing it as black on black and why are you juxtaposing it to the violence I just heard an elected official do that yesterday this is street soldiers we're talking about one of the most urgent issues facing our country police and our communities we'll be back right after this hey yo 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 what up what up it's the infamous mob deep prodigy right here you know what I mean and this is street soldiers with Lisa Evers real issues real politics you know what I mean and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. We are focusing on an issue that is of tremendous importance to everyone here in the United States, no matter what your race, no matter where you live, and that is the relationship between police and the communities they are sworn and paid to serve and protect. Joining us for this discussion, Darren Porcher. He's a retired NYPD lieutenant. He is a criminal justice professor with a doctorate, and he's also a prominent law enforcement commentator on television and radio. Also with us is New York City Councilmember Jumani Williams from the 45th District in Brooklyn. He represents East Flatbush, Flatbush, Midwood, and Flatlands. Now, one of the other issues that has come up over and over again is this issue of justice. There is a very strong feeling when you look at these cases that have in the past throughout here in New York City um, where unarmed black, black people have been shot and killed by police, the police officers, or, or die in a fatal encounter with police, police officers don't seem to be penalized too much for it. That is the general feeling. True or false, Darren? Well, it, it, it's difficult to make that a true or false statement. Uh, the black community, or I want to say the minority community, believes that there are two systems of justice that are in play. And oftentimes, they suffer to, to a miscarriage of justice. I can speak from the perspective of being an African-American male and also a prior law enforcement officer. And this is something that is that can be apparent in some instances, but not in others. And I kind of use the, I equate this to a domestic dispute. If I look at a hundred different, if I look at a hundred domestic disputes, there's not one set antidote that addresses each and every domestic but dispute. Why, why but, like it but at the same token, we need to focus on things from an individualized perspective as opposed to saying it broad brush, look, everything is, excuse me, excuse my term, but messed up. The police department has the... Uh, put together a strategy that effectively targets these issues in connection with the shootings of unarmed African-Americans or, or unarmed but, Latinos. But let me, tell, let me bring it down. But Jumani, with, with the Akai Gurley case, people were, okay, there was a tri there was a trial, there was a guilty verdict, mm -hmm. and then police people are like, why is that police officer so, not going to jail? They feel like there was no justice. So, the Eric Garner case, the police officer involved, he wasn't indicted by the by the by the grand jury but people feel like he should still not be collecting a check so uh, I, and I understand what's being said and part of it is true there's a true. civil service process that plays it's out true. when we could look at what happened with officer Dan Daniel Pantaleo out in Staten Island although people may not agree with it however that officer Pantaleo Darren, has that it. was over two years so ago once again well, wait, no, so, so, so wait so that was but he has to go the through initial, a department trial the question he is is it separate justice Right, and so right. is there that, two systems that does of a make double sense. standard of justice? And there is. Some of it makes sense. I mean, I will say if you if you've signed up to risk your life every single day, I'm not going to pretend um, that if you run a red light, you you it, while you're driving a police car, something like people kind of freak out. I understand there's certain things there. You signed up for something and should be viewed that way. Where I think no one can disagree is that you've had dozens and dozens of cases where people were killed unarmed and no one was held accountable. And, and you that, hear the that term is, an accident. That and nothing is, is being done. That is the problem. Whether it's two years or four years, at the end of that, there is what no happens? accountability. Now, if uh, if one of us had shot someone 
uh, in a car and just walk up to you, we would be arrested already. The fact that he's not even been arrested, I'm not sure is a civil service. But, but Jamani, it's not just issue. an accountability issue. It's Let's say hypothetically the accountability is not there. What is being done after the fact to but, prevent these things from happening? But, but also, forward? by the way, I... And no, no, well, Delaware, the special prosecutor... The accountability part is important because if they felt there were consequences to their actions, they might but that's perform only one and do component. something different. What are we going to do? But it's a huge component. But what is being done to prevent this for moving forward. I agree. All right, so uh, but, 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 we, but there's no proactive strategy. Well, the NYPD, the NYPD this, says the, they have retrained all of the... Training is important. In the aftermath of Eric Garner and the, the two police officers who were gunned down in Brooklyn, they have It is a tangible thing. Training. I was a trainer, and I will tell you this but much. But they and said you have they to retrained take, listen, every police training officer. is something that happens, but you need to have a sustainment piece in it. When I say a sustainment piece, you have to revisit it. So hypothetically, this is July, we set forward a training agenda. We reevaluated in August, and then in in September, we looked to see if it worked or it didn't. If it didn't, we retool our strategy and we training is a very tangible there. change. I'm not going to say that it's not. I believe training without accountability does nothing. Training is what, what we would always be, what use. What That's you, the buzzword. Whenever we have something, the first thing we hear is training. Okay, but he's saying, okay, but there has been a change in the training mm -hmm. with the NYPD. Which I'm happy about. Okay, and in terms of and, and de-escalation techniques, talking with people, that type of thing. But in terms of accountability, as There's a lawmaker, no account as a lawmaker, what would you see as a good, effective way of someone accountability? Someone needs to lose their job and someone needs to be in jail. This is the what only profession. What would happen to the average person? <laughs> yes, and this is the only profession where you can make an error somebody loses their life and all you have to say is I feared for my life and absolutely nothing happens. The As other thing, wait, wait, the other thing is also we focus just on that one officer and we can't do that. There's officers who stand around watching and participate. There's officers who lie on the report sheet and supervisors who allow those lies to continue. All of those people should be held accountable and need to be, be held accountable criminally or within their job. Until that accountability piece becomes real, the train, all the training in the world. What, why would you change something if you're not held accountable? But let me say this. You're a lawmaker. You have the ability to affect change on a local level. President Obama made a series of recommendations, but his recommendations do nothing on a federal level in connection with what happens on local law enforcement. The president does not appoint the police commissioner. Sure. However, the mayor does. You are a city councilman, therefore you in turn implement or you create, you construct law. You're a legislator. What do you have that you're moving forward with to f these things to one change the system and quote unquote invoke the discipline that you feel is necessary so do you have something on the table so one uh one i don't believe legislation is going to cure this by itself uh two okay but let him finish uh, why do you say you're a lawmaker why do you say that because this is this is not if we leave this just up to legislation it's not going to work. We have Civil to, well, service well, is growing up. But let me finish. Uh, by a legislator. Do let we need finish. a public awareness campaign? We finish. change how little kids look at smoking, for yes. example. But, do but we to need do a that, about racism? Yeah, but to do that, you have to be honest, and everybody's not honest yet. But okay. I, what I was saying is the city council is uh, cannot tell the police department what to do. We are very limited, which is unfortunate. The state elected officials have to do more than that. Uh, we do have things online. I've passed laws uh, that had to go over mail videos last uh, last. Isn't term. civil but, service law constructed by the city council? But, state. but, but state. state. But the, the, uh, the other issue... On the local level? We have, yes, the yes. state. We have some laws that we're actually trying to get passed right now called the Right to Know Act. And even that's 
not being pushed the way it's supposed to. So we do have some things we're trying That's to push. The cards to go out, okay. Of course. And so, and that came. We passed. We had that in since last term, and that's on the mayor. That's on the presidential task force. What to do? And we're still having trouble passing that. Okay, let, let me bring it around to the streets. The if, I'm sure you saw the the doctor, the, the African American doctor yes. in Dallas, who made the very emotional statements Heartfelt testimony about as a father, as a as yeah. a black man, mm-hmm. as a professional. This man who is his life is saving lives of people said. He was a, he had fears of police officers who he had to deal with, and here it is. He is saving the lives of police officers. Mm-hmm. Explain that fear to people who have never experienced it. I would say this. What I think it's obvious. My mother, uh, there, there's this crime all over. The most conversation I had with my mom about being safe was about how to survive if a police officer stops you. She bought me the little black book by Carol Taylor. I had to read it. I had to understand it. What... What pe- I want people to understand in context of what that doctor was speaking about. Black Lives Matter, we've been trying to say that it does. Five police officers were horrified, horrifically killed. The whole nation is mourning them. The whole nation is not mourning the death of those black men. Those the are president, two separate and distinct I, I got instances. you, but the president, I don't know how many phone calls he's made about unarmed black men who have, who have got killed. I understand why we need department circumstance. I'm not taking it away. I don't think we should have it. But there should be some kind of, uh, the president should call one or two of those families and say, I understand what's going on, uh, I hear you, so that people can understand that that Black Lives Matter. And I think it, it's knocked it off for a little while uh, from the nation, and everybody, my, I texted something and saying, um, I mourn those officers because I recognize their humanity. But I'm not sure if as everybody- As a human being. As a human being. Right. I'm not sure if everybody's mourning with me about those black men who were killed, or are they dissecting what those black men should have done not to get killed. But then how do you change those attitudes? How do we change those attitudes so that everybody is seen as a human being and treated with the same human rights? Well, one of the things is, and once again, I commend President Obama for doing this. He meant he spotlighted the point where you had police officers that were killed and the very protesters that were protesting against them conjoined together. Right, in a moment of grievance. I think that that's huge. But how do we bring these people together? This is where I task you as a legislator. I know you have a small area that you're responsible for, but the legislators within the city of New York need to come together and put together a viable plan because that's why we elected you. I don't disagree. But we, we but also how have do you change we, people's attitudes? Have, if no, you're no, talking no. about people's... If you're talking what, about... I'll tell you what, what they can talking, do. Wait a minute. If you're, let me ask you this, Darren, because this is something, again, I hear all the time. If you're talking about a police officer coming into the NYPD or any other police department who is white, who has never had any contact on a real level in terms of friendship, in terms of community, in terms of church, what you know, faith, whatever it is, with people from another race or another ethnic group... And all of a sudden, you're giving them a badge and a gun and the authority to go into that community. What do you right, think You're referring happen? to something that falls along the lines of what we refer to as implicit bias training. Right. And the, with the implicit the bias training, right. they just started this they now doing it, yeah. after another tragedy, of course. But it goes back to it. it needs to be a sustainment. We don't just train you in January and then we go back to it next year. It needs to be an ongoing process. But back and to but, but York, also, very also the leaders have to be careful with this conversation. You can't have a commissioner Bratton saying the things he's saying about Black Lives Matter. We can't, we can't have Commissioner Bratton uh, blaming people for not dealing with uh, gun violence but talking about um, police violence. That's the problem with this conversation. If we're going to have it, leaders like that have to be very careful with the language that they're using so that we can move forward. Because the more you use our language, the more tense it needs to be. Every time we talk about police reform, people say the sky is going to fall in, it's going to ruin everything. 
And I defy anyone to discuss any piece of police reform legislation that has done anything but make us safer. What, what about cultural? What about a cultural shift as well? Because at the same time, our society over the last last ten years has gotten more casual, more open in terms of social media, people talking and what they're saying, and, and friends they're meeting, and the, these types of things. And that at the same time, the police departments have become increasingly militarized. Every situation now, the helmets come out, the long guns. You know, it's, some of it's under the fear of terrorism, but it's also for a lot of these domestic situations. Derek, and that goes back what, to, does that change people's ideas? Because it automatically puts you in that war it, zone feeling. It, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Order maintenance, which is enforcement-minded, is where the budgets are going. This the is overtime the budgets are constantly going into order maintenance. I see minimized budgets going into the police community so engagement. So, so just so, so I understand, you're saying they're putting money into maintaining order, which are these tanks, these military well, type Well, the order maintenance is the enforcement related See, that's, this is very policing. key because um, I, I honestly believe I said it again and again there was the vast majority of police officers want to do a good job right. and they're risking their lives this is the first people we're going to call if something happened right now but the fact of the matter is what he's talking about is key the problem is we as he mentioned before off, off air the police should be used as triage to deal with something acutely what happens after that triage? What is being put in that community to stop the problem from rising again? Nothing. And then we send the police in again and again. That is unfair to the police, and is definitely unfair to well, the community. Well, you know, right. and we, and we want to, to acknowledge. Police? We have to take a short. We have to okay. take a short break, and we want to acknowledge there are many police officers who are committed to helping our communities and who are fulfilling the oath that they took to protect and serve the people. And we appreciate what you and do. The conversation is bad and for it's them. the conversation is not about that. It's a, it's about some of these problems and how do we get past it together? We'll be back right after this. What to do this, Kevin Gates? And right now I'm kicking it with Lisa Evers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Google Plus. Uh, Snapchat at Lisa Evers. All our Street Soldiers episodes are on LisaEvers.com. And remember, Saturday, July 30th, it is going down at Brooklyn Borough Hall, our annual Push for Peace town hall show and event. If you want to get in on it, if you represent an artist or a celebrity and you want to have them come and be part of our celebrity selfie stroll, you can hit us up, uh, tone at LisaEvers.com. If you are a community organization and want to participate or you want to bring your youth group, you can also hit up Tone, my executive producer, Tone Capone, tone at lisaevers.com. That is in just a couple of weeks on Saturday, July 30th from 1 to 5 p.m. at Brooklyn Borough Hall. Thanks to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams and his amazing staff and our whole Hot 97 team. We are able to bring you this free event. Once again, we got DJ Magic, who's going to be there, uh, Mike Medium. we got a lot of people. The whole team, Lisa, will be there, and many celebrities, artists, and athletes, as well as an important discussion about surviving the streets. Now we're talking about police community relations. Our guest is Darren Porcher. Uh, Dr. Porcher is a former NYPD lieutenant and criminal justice professor. And uh, Darren, in terms of solutions, what do you see as some of the solutions to these police community tensions that people are talking about? One of the key solutions is... There needs to be a cultural and organizational change. When I say uh, an organizational change, meaning the executive branch of the police department, not just here in New York City, but on a national level, they have to be able to connect with the officer that's on the lowest level that actually issues summonses, um, makes arrests. 
that um that organizational component needs to focus on what those officers are doing right and what they're doing wrong. Oftentimes, the executives in police departments, their main focus is, well, let me speak to the boss. Let me find out what the commanding officer has to say about what's occurring. And they negate the fact that the, the people that are at the bottom of this are actually the people that are engaging with the public. So they lose track of them. The second component is the cultural piece. The cultural piece has the focus on police culture in that police officers generally refer to people in certain neighborhoods, the urban neighborhoods in particular, as either perps, thugs, um, na- um, names of that type, uh, names of that And this that is nature. police officers who are of every race do this? Of every race. So the in- blue trumps whatever color you happen to be. Exactly, including African Americans. So it goes into, uh, we mentioned earlier, the implicit bias. We need to get officers to refer to people or think of the civilians on the street as customers. What is your level of customer service and a, a oh, good, wow, what a one thing that we want to look at is let, let's say if you go to the Four Seasons Hotel for example as soon as you step to the counter hello sir hello ma'am how may I help you they break their back to help you right we should have the same customer service from public servants slash police yeah, but people officers. are going to say okay that's that community policing thing and how does it doesn't really work because you know what these police officers are under fire they're going into communities where somebody can take their lives even though it seems as though things are things are generally safer, especially here here in New York City. How do you teach humanity it's, in it's, that kind of environment? It's real simple. It needs to be an ongoing process. It, you train someone. Uh, implicit bias was one of the things that we spoke about. You train a person one month, and then you revisit it. You retool your strategy uh, accordingly. Then you move into culture. You, you move into a lot of cultural issues, but it has to constantly be reintroduced to an officer to the point where it becomes within their DNA. If you just train, because in the police department, oftentimes when they train people, they just do it just to check off a block. So if you get in trouble, they'll say, "Look, we trained you on this four years ago, and you haven't, and, and you haven't." Um, it, you you haven't you haven't performed at on a satisfactory level. It needs to be something that's ongoing and consistent. So just going back to the cultural piece and the organizational piece, those two structures need to be revamped. But and the police departments really need to um, they need to quantify the police and community relationships in terms of your day to day engagement with, with people in these communities. Okay, let, let me read some of these Facebook comments that 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 have come in. This is from uh, Kimberly Licklider. She says, "God wants us to love everyone, and does not matter what color your skin is." Which I, is- in, in a perfect world, that sounds that sounds great. However, when we deal in connection with human nature, we all have our level of bias that drives us in different directions. Case in point, but don't officers- bosses set the. But hold on a second. Don't bosses set the tone though? Any job you're in, and that goes the to, boss sets the tone. And, and that from, goes to, from what you wear, from what you wear to how you address people, either by their first name or by Mister or Ms. Uh, the whole there, there's corporate cultures. There's got to be a cultures in police departments too. And that goes into the organizational. You know, change. is it like a macho thing where you know let's go out there and really. You know, or does it does that vary? Well, it goes back to the organizational change that I mentioned earlier. The executives, because they set precedents, they set the policy, they need to ensure that the execution is sound on a ground level. In many instances that is that that's disappeared. Well it's it's non existent. And it goes back to the um the executives in the NYPD traditionally reach out to the boss. 
they're not so much as focused on what people are doing on the ground level. And that's how you have the detachment on an organizational level. What about in terms of the, the police feeling right now? What do you, the, the cops that you talk to that are on the job, that are out there on the streets, what are they telling you? Well, one of the things is um, Obama's speech yesterday in connection with what happened with the slain officers down in Dallas. You have a lot of officers that are very unhappy with President Obama because they felt that this was this should have been something that would, should have memorialized the, the job the that they did. The police officers. Right, the job that they did and how we can move forward. Because he gave it in two components. In the first piece, he talked about, look, how we need to come together and amalgamate as a culture, not of black and white, but as one. And then the second component, that's when he focused on the policing issues attributed to the death of Mr. Sterling in Baton Rouge and the other death that occurred, the, the other um, police deaths that occurred up in Minnesota. Police officers feel that President Obama doesn't have their back. Now, I can understand them feeling that way, but you also have to take in consideration the executive branch of government is headed by President Obama. Therefore, it's necessary that he must make a statement on a national level to address these issues. Uh, so one may say that, well, you know, that may not have been a place. Yeah, in but terms police of departments that. are locally run. They're local, you know, right, right. they're subject he, the, to local law. He doesn't have the ability to appoint a police but commissioner. Do you think he can set a tone? Do you think he can set a better tone? I disagree. I, it, it's, it's That's tough not really to say. his job. No, it's not realistic because oftentimes when we look at us, the United States on a national level, things are drawn to, on partisan lines. So let's say hypothetically the um, the police commissioner in a place like uh, Boise Heights is a Republican and President Obama being a Democrat that that police commissioner in Boise Idaho may genuinely believe in a lot of the antidotes that Obama has laid out however he as in the police commissioner in Boise Idaho fears losing the backing of fellow Republicans okay, okay but what so becomes so politics so what what if, what if you could I mean this is totally probably totally impractical but idealist and but idealistic if you take the politics out of policing because that's one thing a lot of cops will say I hear them say too they go there's too much politics you take the politics out of policing the mayor of of some city says to his his or her police commissioner I want you to do the job I want crime down I want the community to feel protected and I want better relationships with the community, with every community that we police and officers that show that they're doing that or is there just not a way to show that, that those officers will be rewarded, not just for the number of arrests they make. Is that real? Is that even possible? I think it's possible to quantitate the uh the police community engagement outside of I mean we measure everything else right, in America right. the, the the enforcement the, the the enforcement component is is generally measured based on the number of arrests summonses things to that effect right. and that quantification is usually what comes to the forefront because most executives I shouldn't say most executives but most elected officials they want to see how crime is going down that's really what their focus is right now when we look at how could we quantitate the um, police community interaction one of the one of the things that I've because I, I worked in the Community Affairs Bureau, I've I've introduced this on several occasions. Is there needs to be a sheet of paper that officers carry, where it shows their, their contacts, their public contacts with community. Who are these people? Who are the major stakeholders in the community? And the police commanders and executives should arbitrarily question these officers that are on the ground. 
who are the major stakeholders in these communities? Not the, not the, I'm sorry, not just the major stakeholders, but the people on the ground level. That 18 year old that just comes out to play basketball. Those people have a voice in these communities, and it's essential that the police, the officers, connect with those individuals on the ground level as well as the major stakeholders such as reverends and community leaders. So, so even for example, like the the police officer who who was tragically murdered in East Harlem last year, the community that the people in the in the uh, housing development where he was patrolling regularly they loved him he came he the way he dealt with the community that type of thing you're talking about some way to kind of measure that or where the community would have feedback that would be valued by the police department the community can have feedback, but I think it's essential for for the the, pur- the purpose of documentation. The police, the right. officer, should have a sheet of paper that documents his or her um, community contacts, where these people lived, like, what your like engagements stopped at were, such, like stopped at such and such a store, spoke with the owner. Exactly, like exactly. That. That's how we can quantitate. As opposed the, to wrote ten parking tickets. Right, so. exactly. That's how we can quantitate the commu- the police community engagement. Ultimately, the people in the urban communities are under siege. They want police in their neighborhoods. Right. However, they feel like and they have a right to receive the proper services because, believe it or not, these people in these communities are paying for it because the tax revenues generate the, the funds that go into policing. All they want to do is they just want to be treated equally and fairly. And that's something that the police department has missed the mark on because the focus has been order maintenance, um, summons activity, and arrest-related instances. And then in terms of the, in, in terms of where the NYPD is at right now, the police commissioner has said NYPD is a majority-minority police department now that there are more officers of color than there are, and that would include Latino, Asian, uh, mix, everything, and African-American than there have ever been before. Do you believe that? I believe that we have more minorities that are employed by the NYPD, but it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. The cultural change is necessary. We need to invoke a cultural change in that police department and refer to these people as customers as opposed to perps, thugs, or low lives in the street. And that cultural change is going to shift that shift that officer's psyche on how they feel about these people in the street. What about the uh, the Dallas police chief said that you know policing? I'm paraphrasing him. You know, police that we're being police are being asked to do too much in this day and age. What do you think about that? Well, tradi- Are we asking too much of police for what they're being paid and what were the conditions are? The request for police, uh, the, the, the request for policing services is enormous. However, w- the way I see as a prior supervisor in the NYPD, I feel a police officer's primary responsibility is to triage situations that come in and refer them to the subject matter expert. Whether it's a, 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 an issue connected with social work, you get a social worker in. If there's um, a mental health issue, the same holds true. You can only troubleshoot, therefore your job is just to provide a latent component initially and have the professionals deal with it later on. What I see in many instances, a lot of police officers deem themselves as the subject matter experts and they feel that it's necessary for them to provide a solution. And that's where you go, that's where they go wrong because they're oftentimes not equipped or capable of managing a lot of these situations. All right, well, that's that's going to have to be it. We're out of time. But uh, Dr. Darren Porcher, former NYPD Lieutenant, criminal justice professor, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. On this episode of Street Soldiers. And of course, I want to remind you, Saturday, July 30th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., it is going down at Brooklyn. 
Brooklyn Borough Hall, our sixth annual Push for Peace Town Hall show and event. And if you have never been, you are really missing out on one of the most positive events that you can attend, I think, anywhere. And it's free. We're going to have music by DJ Magic. We're going to have athletes, artists, celebrities coming through. You can get your picture taken with them on the celebrity selfie stroll. And then we also do the Street Soldiers show in front of a live audience. So you can be in the audience. You can watch us do the show. Um, I go into the audience with the microphone and take questions and comments for our panel if you're interested in participating. And also we have a whole segment that's just devoted to community groups where you can access information that could change your life. So if you're interested in getting involved with the Push for Peace, hit up my executive producer, Tone Capone. That's tone at lisaevers.com, tone at lisaevers.com. And I want to thank my whole crew here at Hot 97, um, our general manager, Charlie Morgan, program director, P.O. Farrow, executive producer, Tone Capone, associate producer, Rose Daniels, on the boards, the one and only DJ Michael Medium here helping us out, and uh, digital assistance from Mia Bell and TJ. And thank you all for tuning in to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Join us as we push for peace.